All right, all right. Welcome back to the Prepper Nation Talk podcast. Um, I'm your host, Brock, and with me is CEO founder Ben Clements. Say hi, Ben. Hi, everyone. Uh, today we had an interview with our good friend Connor Anderson, uh, ultimate Frisbee professional, yeah. Eagle Scout, and um, plant nerd. Yeah, he's our <laughs> resident plant nerd. Um, we're also going to start doing a new thing um, I like to call the state of the nation, which is the state of prepper nation. Uh, ben, do you want to get into that, kind of where we're at with the company right now? Yeah, so prepper nation, uh, preppernation.com. Our shop is live and going. Come check us out. Uh, just go to our homepage and hit shop. Um, let's see, we've got a couple podcast episodes up there on the website. Um, if you head over to our Academy page, um, I've done a little bit of work on that this week, kind of updating that as basic basic kind of wilderness survival uh, skills and knowledge articles, uh, videos. Um, so check that out if that interests you at all. Um, let's upcoming see. events? Yeah, upcoming events. We just uh, actually just this week booked a uh, music festival we're going to vend at at the end of the summer on August 2nd. Uh, the festival is called Galactic Get Down. Kind Ooh, of a funky. Yeah, jam band funky. Uh, it'll be a good time here in Minnesota. So, you know, if you're local. Come uh, check it out. Come see us there. Even if you're not, come check it out. Yeah, it's not too far a trip for you, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm looking. I'm really look, looking forward to that. Kind of spending the weekend, uh, just talking to people face to face, and kind of sharing what we have, and kind of getting getting feedback right there. Um, it's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be a really good time. So awesome, exciting. Well, yeah, enjoyed the interview with Connor. It was a lot of fun. Uh, here you are. Yeah, check it out. Today we have on Connor Anderson, um, good friend of mine. I don't want to speak for Ben, but um, I like him. Okay. No, yeah, we've known Connor for a long time. Grew up in Prior Lake, Minnesota, like the both of us. Um, he's an ecological restorationist. I think I nailed those words. Um, he also is a professional ultimate frisbee player. I'm sure we'll talk about that. And uh, Eagle Scout as well. That's a pretty cool thing. What do you think about that, Ben? Yeah, he's a definitely interesting character. I'm looking forward to a conversation okay. here. Where do you want to start, Connor? Do you want to start with Frisbee? It's up to you guys. You just came from there, so might as well. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Are we allowed to say Frisbee? You can. Yeah. Okay. You can call it whatever you want for okay. the most part. Ultimate. Yeah. Ultimate or Ultimate Frisbee. Mm -hmm. So you had... So not whatever you want, just those two things. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'll give you some leeway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, perfect. Right. <laughs> so Ultimate, you play on... What's the team called? Uh, the team I play on right now is mm -hmm. called Minnesota Windchill. Okay. So it's a professional team for Minnesota. Okay. And do you play other Minnesota teams? No, nope. uh, we travel all over the country, uh, mostly just in the Midwest because that's our region. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, so later in the summer we'll get into the postseason if we make it and travel more towards other coasts. Um, but right now it's, you know, Detroit, Indianapolis, Madison, Pittsburgh. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting one other one, but... Mm -hmm. <clears throat> How new is this professional frisbee? How new is professional frisbee? It's been around for six, seven years, maybe maybe six, six okay. years. I, I can't, I don't know. So the it's still pretty young. Yeah, yeah it's definitely very young. Sports go. Yeah. yeah, it's been a recreational sport for forever, obviously. What? Uh, well, I mean, it was, ultimate frisbee itself was made, like, first made in like the seventies or eighties. Okay. So it's it still is a new sport. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's only forty years old, fifty years old. Yeah. So cutting edge. Yeah, it's interesting because with the with the newer sports, you don't quite. It's kind of catching up. It seems like, but like when you get in brand new sport, you don't quite draw like the same quality of athlete mm -hmm. that you would in like a bigger sport. That I mean, there's more of a future with it. But right. it sounds like now there is kind of a future in ultimate frisbee. And uh, yeah, I think. Uh, most people assume that there's not athletes that play ultimate frisbee, mm -hmm. um, but we do get quite a few very good athletes. Um, so it, it's not your NFL players that are you know average over mm -hmm. 200 pounds and can <laughs> run 40s in four or five seconds. Right. Um, we have a number of people that can run 40s, 
pretty close to that or faster than that, but um, it's a lot more conditioning oriented. Mm -hmm. uh, So it's not like we do put emphasis on it it being explosive, uh, but you need to be able to run fast and you sprint the whole time and you sprint for four 12 minute quarters. Um, So it's, it is a lot of moving. It's, it's probably more moving than soccer. So if you think about how much people move in soccer, um, is the field of play as big as soccer? It's bigger. Well, it's bigger. It, it's it's longer. It's about 120 yards. Okay. So it might be That's the length is about the same yeah. as a soccer field. Um, think of like a football field. It's basically the same size as a football field. Yeah. Okay. So 50, 60 yards wide, including the end zones. Including the end zones. Yeah. Cool. And so, uh, so is there like a lot of substitutions that go on, or is it mostly just a core um, that plays most of the game? So. No, there is. You you substitute every single point. So it's broken up just like football where it's offense and defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I play defense, so I go out there to play defense. I really don't go out there to play offense. Um, but if we get a turn uh, and we work it all the way down, uh, one thing that's <laughs> frustrating is that the coaches can call timeouts and then substitute everyone. So in a lot of sports, when there's a timeout, you can't substitute anyone. Uh, but with Frisbee you can and is it, so is it unlimited substitutes or sorry timeouts uh no it's one or two a half okay so so it's not like something you could do every single turn right yeah okay yeah so are you subbing on the fly no then? i guess i'm not understanding no. that think of football okay so it's, and anytime yeah, someone scores the you can ball. you yep, okay. you can sub on points yeah gotcha that makes sense well that's cool so besides points it's pretty much a continuous game right correct okay yeah it's always moving yeah, I can see how that'd be exhausting. Yeah, <laughs> and then Sorry. turnovers, you just go. You just grab yep. it and go, right? Yep. Cool. And usually you try and do it as fast as you can to catch the other team off guard. So it's sure very little downtime. Yeah. Plus we we roster twenty people for games, um, and so that's not even three full lines. Um, so the people who are playing offense, if the game is going about average, where each team's offense keeps scoring, mm-hmm. uh, then the offense is going out there every other point. So mm-hmm. they can play quite a bit. Uh, on defense, it's usually every other point that you play, or every other point on defense that you play. Okay. How many people are on the field at once? Uh, seven for each team, 14. Okay. Cool. And then do you have, like, certain positions within the offense and, like, kind of receivers and yeah. quarterback? Yeah. Um, basically, they're called handler and cutter. Okay. Uh, handlers are generally backfield, and they throw the Frisbee more. Uh, mm-hmm. They'll start out with it just like a quarterback will. Yeah. Um, and then you have cutters, which are more of the receiving group that'll start downfield and make cuts and yeah. try and get open. You So you mentioned this to me earlier about, um, so in, like, in the college and high school game, you call your own fouls. Correct. But in the professional game, there's referees. Correct. How much of a difference is that? <sighs> Um, there's more contact in professional, uh, just because the referees have to be the one to call it. Mm -hmm. Um, and in normal ultimate Frisbee that you play for club or college or high school, uh, you have 10 seconds. Um, and the person who is marking you, uh, counts to 10 and when they get to 10, uh, it's a turnover. So Mm -hmm. you have 10, you have 10 seconds to throw the Frisbee. frisbee. Yep. Uh, in professional, you have seven seconds, uh, and the referees count it. So they don't, you don't hear them counting because they count in their head. So you, you never really know exactly what the stall count is at. So you can you can make guesses, yeah. um, but that's it. It increases the speed of play just slightly, uh, but with the larger field, it kind of makes it a little bit slower too. Yeah. So, yeah, the uh, <laughs> the. Um, the more contact and not being able to call your fouls can be frustrating, but yeah. as a defender, I like that because then I can be more aggressive. And yeah, so, you, so you think with the referees, you can actually get away with more because the players yeah. can't just be like, "Oh, you fouled yep. me." The the referees aren't always going to have the perfect line of sight. Sure. So what happens a lot is someone will think they got fouled, but the referee mm-hmm. wasn't there to see it, mm-hmm. um, and then it can go. The play will just go on. There there is something called the integrity rule. So if someone gets fouled and the referee doesn't see it, the person who committed the foul can call a foul on themselves. Sure. So does that happen frequently? Uh, I don't know. Once a game, maybe. Yeah. Maybe not. It's 
Like it, yeah, it depends on the person who's calling it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. So, with um, with uh, the faster you have, you said you have seven seconds in the professional game rather yep. than ten. Do you freak? Do people frequently get to that seven seconds, or is the disc usually out of someone's hand? Yeah. Quicker so you, than that. you know, there's definitely times where people get stalled out, so they don't throw it in the seven seconds. And that's that, really good defense. Yeah, really good defense. What one thing that changes with professional frisbee uh, is the fact that you can double team whoever has the frisbee. Mm -hmm. So in normal ultimate frisbee, uh, there's one person that's marking, so counting off to ten, and then there everyone else has to be uh, a certain distance away, uh, like I think it's ten feet. Mm -hmm. um, but with professional, the person that's holding the frisbee can have two or more people standing around them. Um, <clears throat> so that happens a lot, and it's, it makes it pretty difficult to throw uh, if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of times people get stalled out with that because they just they have no bailout throws that they can throw because yeah. there's two people covering them. Interesting. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it seems like the ultimate. I, I'm excited to come watch one because it seems like a pretty pretty fast-paced, exciting game. Yeah, it's you don't have to be able to understand it to watch it and enjoy True. it. Yeah, it's not feel like hockey. Yeah. Don't know the rules at all, but it's really, really fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, our next home game is in a couple weeks here. Okay. So we go out to Madison next weekend, and then I think okay. the following weekend we're back here. Where do you play, play at home? Uh, we play at the National Sports Center in Blaine. Blaine. Um, yeah, it's a cool stadium. Yeah, the cool. Minnesota professional soccer team used to play there. So. Gotcha. Yeah, so it's nice. They're still in the process of building that stadium for them, aren't they? Mm-hmm. The new one. Yeah. yeah, it's gonna be about another year. Okay, so cool. Well, cool. It sounds like a fun game. Off. Yeah, I'd like I said, I'd like to come watch one. Yeah, do you get a good turnout the games? Uh, it depends on the weather. Oh sure. Um, last night we didn't have very many people. We probably had maybe a hundred people. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, generally, we average around, you know, three or four hundred. Okay. A lot of, is that a lot of pressure for you? No, not <laughs> at all. It's Don't not as notice. I've played in front of bigger crowds. Oh really? So. Yeah, you're a college national champion. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. What was the crowd like there? Uh, that game wasn't as much. There was probably five or six hundred people. Mm -hmm. um, our semifinal game leading up to that <clears throat> was quite a bit more. That was probably close to a thousand. Oh wow! Um, and where was that? Raleigh, North Carolina. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And that was with the Minnesota Golden Gophers, correct? Yeah, we're not called the Gophers, but it, okay. we were a club team that played for the University of Minnesota. Okay, cool. Well, let's transition a little bit here. We talked about um, you're also an ecological restorationist, correct? <laughs> Did I say that right? I think you got it. Yeah, close enough. Yeah, good. <laughs> plant nerd. So, right? Plant nerd, yeah. Well, like, yeah like you don't I need to go that far. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about that. What do you do on a day-to-day -day with that? Because that's your, uh, your day job, correct? Uh, right now it is correct. Okay. Um, so a lot of what we do, I'll just kind of break it up into two sections, the company that I work for. Mm. Um, one is installation of prairie plantings. So we, we focus mostly on native prairie plants. Uh, we do, I mean, we do other things. We do wetlands, woodlands, shorelines. Mm -hmm. So we do all uh, eco, ecosystems. Yep. Um, but one that we specialize in is prairies. Um, and so we have one, one group that goes out and installs the prairies. So they think of it more like landscaping. They go out and they prep the soil with tractors. They uh, drill in seed or broadcast seed. Uh, they plant plugs. They do erosion control work. Um, and then my what job... planting plugs? What does that mean? A plug is like a, a maybe like a two or three inch plant. So they put a seed in a tray uh, and they let the plant grow for a little bit. Um, and that's to increase the probability of its success. So okay. when you throw Different seed down, yeah, yeah, when you throw seed down, not every single seed is going to germinate. Gotcha. Um, I mean, it's the same kind of the same thing with the plug. Like you're you're trying to increase your chances of success mm -hmm. um, because we do run a business. And we want to make money off of it. Yep. Um, we put plugs in um, so that those two inch plants uh, hope they grow. A lot of times they don't because there is there is a high rate of mortality mm -hmm. um so you can plant you know two or three thousand plugs you're not going to have two or three thousand plants coming up mm -hmm. right. you'll, you'll have you know i'd say 
at at best 60 percent 70 percent success mm-hmm. where those plants actually will put their roots in the soil and actually grow yeah um yeah so that's that's that side uh what i focus on is the management side okay so um <clears throat> a lot of times when there's bare soil uh invasive species move in and weedy species move in um, and so we try and control those weeds to uh, increase the success of our planting mm-hmm. uh, so if we were just going to go and we plant all these things uh, and seed all these native uh, prairie species mm-hmm. um, and we just let it sit there and watch hope. the yeah it, yeah it would be hope because you wouldn't you wouldn't get too many things we do have a number of native annual species so an annual species is it completes its life cycle in one year so it'll right. grow up it'll flower it'll seed out and then and it'll it die um, but a lot of times those plants uh, they take all the sunlight and since they grow faster they kind of mm-hmm. just ruin it for all the perennial native species right. um, so without us actively doing management to control those um, our plantings wouldn't be successful so what I do is I go out, I lead a crew of people. Um, I go to an area that we've planted. I look what's there. I determine what we need to do, um, and then we do it. Cool. So, and that and so what kind I, of things do you need to do? It's it's a lot of uh, mowing. Um, so we control annual species through mowing um, because we can cut them. They're not going to grow back. They'll just die. Hmm. Uh, the difficult ones are the perennial plants where they live for multiple years. Uh, and with that, we use herbicide. Okay. So, cool. it, so you mentioned that weedy and invasive species come in. I've had this conversation with people before where I was told a certain plant was invasive where I thought it was just weedy. For example, a cottonwood tree, Mm -hmm. uh, because they move into places really quickly. And um, can you just kind of explain the difference between invasive and weedy and whether or not a cottonwood is invasive or weedy? (laughs) You really want to know this. I do. I I was like, I'm trying to win an argument here. I have going on with someone. Is there a couple of dollars on this argument? No, nothing on this one. So I'll break it down one step further like I did for you the other day. We'll start off with non-native. So a non-native plant is anything that's not naturally occurring in that area. Uh, gotcha. So a lot of non-native plants are your cultivars that you get at your uh, outdoor stores. So mm-hmm. like Home Depot, Lowe's, uh, a lot of those plants that they sell aren't actually native to the US or even more specifically to Minnesota. Um, and so they are considered non-native. Uh, a plant becomes invasive when it's non-native, so it's introduced uh, by humans, but some mechanism, usually humans, gets it over into that area, um, and there's no uh, like checks and balances, so there's no predators for it, and so it's able to grow and outcompete uh, native plant species. So you can, like I said, you can have non-native, and a non-native plant isn't a problem until there isn't a check and balance and gotcha. um, it takes over that ecosystem. Uh, and a lot of times we control them because of monetary value. Mm-hmm. So in farm fields, all the herbicide they put down to control weeds yep. or invasive plants, um, it's because they lose crop yields. And if they don't do that, their crops aren't gonna grow and they're not gonna have a good profit for the year. Right. Um, and so your weedy plants, um, I mean, a weed is anything that you don't want there Um, so you can call anything a weed if it's something that you don't like. Mm -hmm. Um, but generally weedy plants are native species that we control. Weedy plants are native species that take over. Um, and they are good. They do have value. Mm -hmm. Uh, but a lot of times they're, they're aggressive. Yep. They can be aggressive, um, and take over. And Mm -hmm. we want, we try and focus more on diversity. So if we just wanted a native planting and we wanted to do it the easiest way, we could go and just put down like goldenrod seed, like Canada goldenrod. It's a native plant to Minnesota, but we control it because it takes over, it's aggressive, it, it forms monocultures, um, yeah. and it doesn't, it doesn't look that great. So, okay. so your, your cottonwood <laughs> is native to Minnesota, okay. so it's naturally occurring. Okay. However, it is, uh, no longer um it it doesn't it doesn't function well in the niche that it evolved in uh 
because we've altered the ecosystem, so it's a floodplain for a species. Okay. Uh, and we have uh, put locks and dams all up and down the Mississippi River. Okay. Uh, and so the floods that used to occur... Um, Don't? They, they do, not to the extent. Gotcha. So um, they, it gets out-competed, mm -hmm. uh, but once it gets into an upland area, it grows fast because that's how it evolved. It needed to grow fast to get above the water level. Mm -hmm. um, and so, it, I mean, it can crowd out other species. So it can be weed, yeah. Okay, but not invasive. It's not invasive. All right. Not in Good. Minnesota anyway. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting because a, a lot of plants that we control that are native to Europe, Africa, and Asia um, that are over here that are causing a lot of harm for our natural things. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a lot of stuff that's over in Asia, Europe, Africa that's causing them a lot of problems. Right. Oh, they have like American plants there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a big one for them is actually muskrats. Really? Really? Yeah. Interesting. So that's kind of a, I, I don't really know how I, because I don't, it's bad when ecosystems change so quickly and something's introduced that doesn't have any competition. But at the same time, it's just kind of the world we live in and it's like, evolution almost like certain things are being out competed and that's like the way we got to where we are yeah um i can see what you're saying mm -hmm. uh but a lot of times um like we'll we'll take this back a few hundred years where people actually lived off the land okay. um if something came in and say after you know 10 years mm -hmm. everything is just one species then it's basically killed off everything right. that was depending on those plants mm -hmm. or those animals that, in that area. So right. you, it can, you can view it as evolution, um, and I guess you don't have an argument for me that it, it is considered evolution, um, but it's also been assisted. And you could, you could make okay. the argument that it's not evolution because it's been assisted by us. So if not for us, that plant never would have been there or that animal never would have been there right. and that harm never would have been caused. Yeah, but I mean, okay. we're, we're products of this environment. We're not some alien species. We like evolved on this planet. So any actions that we do are the product of evolution because that's what we are. Right. So I don't, yeah. I don't know. I, I, always, I always get like hung up on when people say that like, art, like artificial selection versus like natural selection, like how we breed dogs essentially. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, even a bred dog is still, that's evolved. We as evolved species like informed that evolution, but that doesn't mean that it's not a natural process because we are natural beings. Yeah. Right. So I don't know, that's more of a philosophical, philosophical. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, you look at too, like, uh, I mean like the expansion of humans, when you look at like, even like going into Australia, humans got to Australia late Right? It's a hard word. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. just not being able to say Australia. Did I mispronounce it? You would mispronounce it. Try Australia. Cool. So humans got to Australia late, right? And there were already like a bunch of species, like larger marsupials that lived there. And when humans got there, there was just like a mass extinction because like they didn't evolve with humans. They weren't ready for humans and humans just like killed everything. Mm. Like, I, even today, when you walk up to, you see the videos all the time, you walk up to a kangaroo with a bag, like a baby kangaroo, and it just hops right in because it doesn't sense that danger. And it's just, I mean, that's kind of a natural thing for them, that pouch. They just hop in. Yeah. I mean, but there were a lot of, I mean, so what I think you're thinking of is uh, when Britain sent all their criminals to Australia, but the Aboriginal people survived there way beforehand. Right, right, but and when the Aboriginal people got there, there was a mass extinction of they marsupial were species. Human arrivals right. on, on the island. Well, that's yeah, it's one of the last places that humans got to. That would make sense. And there were millions of years of evolution there already with a bunch of different species, and humans just came in way more intelligent and mm -hmm. way more suited, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, interesting, but though. I focus in the U.S. and not really <laughs> outside. So let's get into I So I... I Talking about that, I was reading uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel by Jared Diamond. Good book. I'd recommend it. Um, but so he talks about spending time in New Guinea. And this is something I wanted to talk about anyways, and this is a good segue to bring it up. But nice. um, Good segue. Yeah. So 
in uh, in New Guinea, he was like hanging out with some tribal people, and they got caught somewhere because of storm. I don't really remember a storm or something, but they got kind of got stranded out in the wilderness, and so the Abra the native people just went out and started collecting food, so they had something to eat for dinner and stuff because they were expecting to be back that night. And they came back with like a bunch of mushrooms and Jared Diamond was like, hey guys, like mushrooms are really dangerous. I don't know if we should eat these. And it really offended the people because they're like, you think we don't know right. what, we can, what we can eat in our woods? <laughs> like, what are, you, what are you talking about? But I've done some research, like I've looked online trying to figure out what mushrooms I can eat here in Minnesota. And when I like, t I type it into Google and it's basically just like, Oh, don't do that. Like, <laughs> don't eat mushrooms you find in the woods. So any advice there for plants we can eat in the woods? So <laughs> I'm going to preface this with, I can, I'm going to tell you some plants that you can eat, mm -hmm. but in no way am I telling you to go out and look for them and to try and eat them yourselves. Because what happens is it all comes down to identification right. um, and being on a podcast people can't see the exact <laughs> plant, so they just have to search it and find it themselves. Yep. So I'll, I can say things that have been eaten and people eat now, um, but no ways am I condoning mm -hmm. people to go out and actually do it. So do it at your own risk. It's dangerous if you don't know what you're looking for. Right, uh, so how could you recommend a good way to figure out how to like look for things? Like, Is yeah. there good resources out there um, that I could become an expert in? Not even an expert. In just functional enough functional. yeah competent. yeah um yeah get identification books okay. um learn the learn botany not like you don't need to learn everything but just basic botanical skills so when a, uh, a book says you need to find this or this mm. to identify it you can find those characteristics and you know what they're talking about mm -hmm. um there are lots of identification guides out there um, I would do research on which ones are well-reviewed mm -hmm. um, and which ones are written by people that have been in the field for, you know, they, they have experience. Sure. What, um, what I get hesitant about is when someone writes a book about identification or about what plants you can eat, um, but they don't really have any pretense of, like, knowledge of the field. So it's, like, they, they could, but mm. with something that can be dangerous, it's nice to have someone that you can look at their experience know and be like, okay, I yeah. trust them. And okay. that, that's what it comes down to. You have to be able to trust the, the books that you are reading. With right. your life. Potentially, yeah. yes. Yeah. Or how about so. this, too? Is, is there a good process for, you know, kind of sampling stuff in ways that you probably won't die, but, like, kind of maybe... I don't know, figuring out, like, you know, I eat one berry and I get a little sick, probably shouldn't keep eating those. <laughs> or is, the, is there a process for that? Uh, I would say no. I would say probably don't do that. Yeah, don't, don't do that. Uh, okay. there's, there's a lot of things that um, you can uh, just have one berry and die. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, I have something on my phone um, that I'll pull up here um, that it kind of... It's one thing that I found really interesting. Uh, it kind of segues this, uh, mm -hmm. what you can eat and what you can't eat. But I'm gonna have to find I've heard it. something like white berries, like uh, it's like, it, there's a color, like percentage in colors, like red berries you can eat like 50%, white <laughs> berries you can eat like 0%, <laughs> and blue and black ones kind of like 90% won't kill you, so. Any truth to that? No. No? Okay. <laughs> don't, don't even. So don't take your advice from me. Maybe Connor right. can help Connor you a little might bit have better. <laughs> so, so you can't just look at the color and be like, oh yeah, it's probably cool. So here, this is, I, this, is, this is what I found. Um, so a castor bean um, is a plant, right? And their seeds contain a cytotoxin, ricin, and when they're chewed, they can cause abdominal pain, vomiting, diarrhea, and death can occur within 36 hours. Mm. Um, I so this want is any of those. No. no. So this is something where you can. Another thing is don't look at animals and just because they're eating it doesn't mean that you can eat it. Mm -hmm. So um, a fatal dose of castor bean seeds um, 
it's two to four seeds for a child and fewer than six for an adult. But where holy cow! And right. How many seeds are in a berry? Like I, I don't know that. Enough. But <laughs> I mean, uh, a chick, chickens and ducks can eat over eighty and be just fine. Okay. So um, don't look at animals because they're built to eat those things. Right. They've evolved with them. Yeah. They know what they're looking for and what they can handle. Um, Interesting. To get more towards what you were asking originally about mm-hmm. what to look for. Mm-hmm. Um, there is something in Minnesota called the foolproof four. Um, and that those are four fungus species. So mushrooms that you can look at, they don't really look like anything else mm-hmm. that you can eat. Um, and so I'll start off with the, the most well-known one is a morel mushroom. Oh, I was going to guess that. Yep. It doesn't look like much else. Like Too you, late now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you get credit for wanting to guess it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see if you can get the other three. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, sure. That was also going to be the only one I could get. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> most people know morel mushrooms. They're very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like mushrooms, so I don't ever go searching for mushrooms to eat. Uh, so yeah, it's cool. usually you can find someone that has eaten them before to take you out and actually show you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's they're pretty distinguishable. Yeah. Um, so you usually don't have to worry about it as long as you are confident in your identification. Um, The second one is a giant puffball mushroom. So if you ever walked in the woods and you see like a basketball shaped white blob, Mm -hmm. that's a giant puffball mushroom. So you can eat those as well. Um, However- How big are they? Because when you said basketball shaped, I just kind of imagined basketball size. Yep. Oh, really? Like they're big. Well, yeah. It's yeah. it's a very large mushroom. Okay. So I meant basketball size gotcha. <laughs> and, and shape. Um, <laughs> but so when you're looking for those, you want to make sure that uh, it is perfectly white on the inside. When it's not white, it's not edible. Mm-hmm. So that now you're getting into more of the, you need to have some, some knowledge. knowledge. Yep. Um, then you have two more, uh, chicken of the woods. Um, it is a bright yellow mushroom on the bottom. It's a shelf mushroom. They grow so, on oak trees, is it? Uh, n- no, I don't okay. know. Maybe um, okay. that's something that I don't know because I don't look for mushrooms. Gotcha. Um, but they they're shelf mushroom, so it's not your um, single stock with the mm. uh, yeah the head on it. Um, it's a shelf. So picture like a bookshelf. Yeah. Um, there's layers of mushrooms. Uh, and this one is bright yellow on the bottom and bright orange and red on the top. So it, you can easily pick it out Distinct. in the woods. So yeah. For colorblind guys like me, probably steer clear. <laughs> yeah, maybe steer, steer clear <laughs> yeah. that one. Okay. Um, so that's, if you're not colorblind, it's pretty easy to pick out. Um, gotcha. And yeah. And then the second or the, the fourth one is hen of the woods. So there's chicken of the woods, right, which is the orange one, and there's hen of the woods. That's more of a grayish. Uh, brownish one uh, it's a shelf mushroom shelf again well. and that one is the one that grows on the bases of oak trees gotcha so if you're if you're looking to go uh, harvest mushrooms generally look mm-hmm. for those four there are, there are others but that's when you get into those that look They're like other ones and too. mushrooms are very poisonous if you get the wrong yeah. ones mm-hmm. I've heard one of the best ways to identify them is like a spore stamp or what do you, how do you what do you call that um, so you take like if it's like the head of the mushroom and you basically just like put it on a coffee filter or something and then you look at like the spore how the spores came out and that you can identify mushrooms better that way than by just looking at them but again you need to have yeah, like an extensive detail. knowledge right yeah I'm I'm not a mycologist so <laughs> uh, fungus isn't my specialty yeah so with that I'd recommend getting a book um, for sure although the four that I said are pretty distinguishable from almost all the other ones. So besides mushrooms, is there anything that's relatively sta- safe to eat in the woods? <laughs> like berries and whatnot go, or is that like- I would be very careful. Here, I, um, I think the easiest things to identify are probably gonna be trees. Um, they, they generally are, I mean, you can see them a lot easier because they're tall. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there's, there's fewer tree species than there are plant species or flower species mm-hmm. so it's it's harder to mess them up there's you get into like the willow trees and the hawthorns and it becomes very difficult to tell those apart uh, but you're usually not eating those right so gotcha. um, what kind of trees are you eating 
<laughs> Depends. Okay. Um, there's. I picture yeah. this like a mouthful of bark when you say eating trees. <laughs> so, doesn't sound too. So you yeah, you're generally not going to eat the bark okay. unless you want to for right. some reason. Um, be pretty dry, but uh, we'll start off with two easy ones that most people or one of them most people know, and that's walnut. So in Minnesota we have what's called black walnut. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like a normal walnut, you can crack open the the husk and you can eat the seed that's in there. So that's one where it's now been commercialized. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's we're is the husk actually black? Yes, okay. it actually you don't see them planted in cities very often because mm-hmm. they do stay in sidewalks. So mm-hmm. their seeds will fall down and then they'll just make the sidewalk completely black. Mm. Yeah, interesting. so. Metal. Do they start out black? They're, they're, I mean, they're black from the time the seeds first, like start. The, to... the husk. Yeah, yeah. The husks will probably start out green and okay. then. Because turn... I've seen green before, yeah. but I've never seen them actually black. Yeah, you are probably not seeing a black walnut. Gotcha. Uh, black walnuts aren't as common mm-hmm. as you'd think. Um, One too. It's a really like nice veneer wood mm-hmm. that people pay a lot yeah. of money for. So yeah, I would it, imagine that's another reason why. Yeah, it, it, it's more of habitat loss mm. um, and, yeah, getting cut down. Right. So a lot of a lot of usable trees have been cut down, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but now it's been more commercialized, so mm-hmm. um, the ones that escaped that are still out there. Okay. Um, I've, only, I've only seen a handful of them in Minnesota, so they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're not rare, but they're not necessarily common, yeah. I guess. Um, then a second one would be butternut. It's the it's a relative of the um, walnut. Um, people used to make oil out of the seeds. Yeah. Um, the seeds are hard to find because the squirrels get them. Gotcha. So when they drop, the squirrels are there and they take them away. So that's that one can be a little bit harder to find too. Mm-hmm. Um, if can we're you eat acorns, yes, technically you can. Okay. You can a lot. People will grind it up uh, into flour mm. and use the yeah. flour. Um, They're kind of icky, to, though, aren't they? I wouldn't eat it, no. but <laughs> won't hurt you. It yeah, it wouldn't hurt you. I'd check for insects on the inside. Oh, um, is that a thing you have to worry about with those? Um, is that just more protein? It, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm. <laughs> I would be hesitant to eat. Personally, I would be hesitant to eat an insect that I didn't know about. Right. So. I mean, if if you crush it and you get a few worms, it's not going to kill you, mm-hmm. uh, most likely. Probably. But um, just be careful. Yeah, yeah. It, that's that's the biggest thing about all of this is you have to be careful, mm-hmm. and you have mm-hmm. to be you have to trust what you're eating is what you think it is. Yeah. Like the the like biggest story that ever that like is about this topic is uh, the gentleman who went up into Alaska. Um, so the book Into the Wild is based on it. Christopher McCandless is yep. the guy. Yep, and so he did not have any botanical knowledge mm-hmm. um, going into it. Uh, right. So he brought with himself an identification book. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he was getting sick towards the end, um, he couldn't find anything, and he thought he identified uh, this plant, uh, and he ended up eating the wrong thing. Yeah. And that's what eventually killed him. Yeah. So he basically poisoned himself to death. Yeah. So it's like it's a very very serious thing where mm-hmm. it make sure you have your identification right because right. you don't want to no go to the hospital. Yeah. No. Um, so I mean, there's there's easy ones right to identify. Like mm-hmm. most people can identify a raspberry bush. That's a pretty easy one. Not much yeah. else really looks like it. Right. Um, especially since it's thorny. Uh, so that's that's a pretty easy one to, you know, pick out when you're walking. Um, blueberries are a little more difficult. I would be, I'd be hesitant because there are lots of other blueberries. Blue yeah. um, so be careful with that. Um, yeah, it's kind of a deceiving name, blueberry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. makes you think oh, it's the only one. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> the blueberry. Yeah. <laughs> so um, there, we have a bunch of native cherry species in Minnesota um, mm. and across the Midwest. Uh, so a big one that has been commercialized is the plum. So we do have plum trees. 
really good to eat. Yeah. Awesome if you can find them. Right. Um, tastes just like a plum. <laughs> uh, yeah. Look up the identification for it. Try and find them in the woods. Uh, just like with the the butternut, mm -hmm. the animals pick them off right away. Pretty quick. Um, yeah. So you have to kind of be right on it um, when it when it's the season for them. Yeah. For um, sure. No, we'll, we'll <laughs> I have a, I have a list here that I yeah. can go off of. Um, I've, and I've also read that uh, wild almonds contain like a large amount of cyanide. And like if you eat enough of those, you can like get really sick and even die. Yeah. But like just the almonds that we eat came, I mean, somewhere along their evolutionary line, um, some of them lacked the the cyanide. And so they just kind of people started hanging out with those yeah. ones more. Right. Yeah. Now we have uh, almonds. Yeah. <laughs> There's, there, so it's interesting to bring that up because mm -hmm. with plants, they they have different pathways that they evolve down right. um, like for how they want their progeny to succeed. Mm -hmm. So they want to produce seeds that are going to succeed. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. so, but anyways, so you have some that produce like this really great tasting fleshy part around a seed and right. that's to you know entice animals to come and eat it and then it'll pass through the digestive system go into the soil mm -hmm. grow up but then there's other ones where they don't want anything eating it uh, so there's a, a tree in minnesota called bitternut um, that animals don't touch it and that's another another pathway that evolved down where they evolved to be very foul tasting so be deadly correct gotcha. yeah so how they get spread if they're not getting eaten and passed that way drop off the tree other other mechanisms okay. you know wind um water a lot of a lot of times those tr those plants will have like they there's they put something into the soil to only allow their species to grow hmm. um nearby yep so like interesting it, i've heard that um some some pine trees that you get it comes with a big ball of dirt around it, and it because it's because they form like a symbiotic relationship with some funguses, and if you oh, shake yeah. all the dirt off, you separate them, and mm -hmm. the plant won't succeed. Yeah, it'll die because it no longer has those yep. mushrooms. So plants can't get uh, all the nutrients from the soil itself. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of times, what happens is there's fungus and bacteria that's in the soil that is uh, going through doing their processes on the soil uh, like nutrients mm -hmm. I guess is how I would say it yeah. and they break that down and then that becomes usable by the plants so uh, what you're thinking of is I'm probably going to butcher the name it's mycorrhizae uh, it's a type of fungus that uh, plants depend on uh, to get some of their nutrients um, Interesting. so another thing could be just the fact that uh, those roots need soil around them yeah. um, and they don't survive very long if there's not soil so gotcha. yeah that's why cool. they tell you not to shake the dirt out yeah for sure <laughs> so um, we'll get into this a little bit did you learn you so you got into ecological restoration um, through your your um, upbringing when you were a, a scout right so you kind of got so into it? Ended up in this area. And then ended up in this area because that. of that? I wouldn't say that. I would mm -hmm. say it definitely played a part in my interests. Um, yeah. But uh, I think that more or less just uh, got me interested in being outdoors. Mm -hmm. I mean, my family growing up, we backpacked and hiked and camped yeah. all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of just was something else on top of it. Yeah. Um, no, my my interest in ecological restoration was uh, more so developed in college, um, gotcha. and it's not even the area that I want to go into. Um, mm. It's just kind of what I'm doing right now to fill fill a gap. Gotcha. Um, so, what's yeah. the long term play? <laughs> um, Million dollar question. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to grad school uh, starting in September. Uh, awesome. So. I'll be more focused on remote sensing and natural resource work. So that's satellite and drone imagery, uh, 
to answer questions and gather information for mm -hmm. natural resource managers um, because we we have so much land uh, to manage and so little money and so little people to actually do it. So the idea of being able to get information from these images uh, to optimize how we manage the land uh, to get it to the point that we think it's functioning properly, that's, that's what I'm interested in. Mm, gotcha. So, And when you say functioning properly, it's for a specific purpose, not just like prairies, but farmland as well? Yeah, it, it could be used for that. Yeah, a lot. Something with that, it's it'd be more so uh, like runoff on farmlands mm -hmm. and like it, remote sensing has the super like the very large reaching applications. Right. right. Um, and so. So can it, you can you gather a lot of information from just images as opposed to a person that's like in the field, like taking samples and like really being out there. Like, how much do we lose by having just a picture versus like a person there doing it? So, that's how it gets. That is basically how we optimize, right? So, um, okay. So it's like so, in unison. Yeah. So you get you take the picture and then you see an area specifically that that needs that needs you, looking. Yeah. At. Yeah. Okay. So, to an answer your question, you can't. You you never will get as much information about a s specific point unless you're out there on the ground actually looking at what's there. Mm -hmm. But what you can do is you ha if you have to survey, you know, 4,000 acres, you can't have someone walk around that whole entire thing and go to every single place right. because that'll take 50 years. <laughs> um, and so what, what this allows you to do is it, you can take a look at that landscape and you can have an idea of like, hey, we want to manage something for like water quality and we want to focus on wetlands. So we can take images of these areas, find uh, what looks to be like the wetlands, and we can take, uh, we can kind of calculate water quality parameters based off of these images. Um, and we can be like, okay, this wetland, like super great water quality. We don't, we don't think we need to go and do anything there. Um, mm -hmm. But you find one and it's like, wow, this is, like, why is the turbidity in this water super high? Why is mm -hmm. the chlorophyll super, super high? Mm -hmm. um, and you can walk out there and you can be like, oh, maybe it's because of X, Y, Z. Or you can walk out there and be like, must just be the time of the year. Like, everything else looks pretty good besides that. But it, it narrows down exactly where you can look. Where to look. Yeah. yeah. So that just kind of, yeah, helps you focus on what you need to focus mm -hmm. on. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Pinpoint certain spots that need looking at. Yeah. So that's, so that's how long, long is it before we can have not just the pictures, but then the drone like swoops down and collects some soil and does some analysis <laughs> and takes of your that? Job. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully a long time. Hopefully yeah. a long time. No, hopefully it, you retire. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could have a drone go down and collect a water sample. Um, there's a certain protocol that you need to follow uh, to make sure nothing gets contaminated. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, robots can do that pretty easily. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think a flying drone is ever, I don't know how it would ever take a soil sample, but <laughs> I'm not a roboticist. So, but I mean, it, it robot or drones are used quite a bit in agricultural practices. Like they, they fly over, they um, take images of the, uh, the crops mm -hmm. uh, and you can do vegetative indexes and figure out like if the crop is doing well, so you don't need to walk out and actually observe all the every single row of corn. Mm -hmm. uh, you can just fly a drone over, take an image. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of times they're actually being used to spray herbicide too. So oh, instead of doing broad applications, sure. you can pinpoint exactly where. Yeah. 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 So like a drone strike. Basically. On, yeah. On weed. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. it, it seems like people are, I mean, there's, with the green boom, people are kind of, like, hesitant. When you, even when you say words like herbicide and stuff, yeah. it kind of scares some people off. Yeah, it's it's a necessary evil. Right. Um, if we don't spray herbicide, we don't get what we want. Mm -hmm. um, so in my field, if we don't spray herbicide, we don't keep natural species mm -hmm. um, because uh, invasive species will outcompete them, and then you'll right. just have monocultures of these species. Um, in agricultural practices, if we don't 
spray herbicide or pesticide, we're not getting the yield that we need yeah. uh, and people aren't eating. Right. So there's a lot of a lot of uproar about, you know, like not spraying herbicide and pesticides. Well, like, yeah, they, they do have issues. Um, but it's not perfect, but... Right, but if you don't do it, then how are you going to feed the, what, 7 billion people that are on the planet mm -hmm. at this point? So, yeah. Yeah. There's still to a point where we need them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, yeah, it's... there. There's a lot of people that think, like, oh, it's bad, but they they don't actually know exactly what's going on. Right. So they've never they've never tried to grow, you know... Over a hundred acres worth of soy, or a hundred acres of corn, mm -hmm. or a hundred acre of beets of anything, um, and you know, there's there's not a lot of people that want to farm right now, mm -hmm. uh, so they they have to do everything they can to make sure they get their crop to right. the market. Yeah. yeah, that's their livelihood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I said before, even just the word herbicide scares people off, and yep. they don't really know what it is, like what yeah. it means. But yeah, like you said, necessary evil. Well, like yeah. even my understanding is that even organic farms use organic like pesticides, is that yep. right? They're not like pesticide free yeah. or anything. Yeah, there's yeah, there's a, a stigma around organic farming that there's no chemicals ever, um, but a lot of times there is something, mm -hmm. right? Um, hmm. It might not be your lab created like herbicide or pesticide, but it might be. A naturally occurring chemical that is being used mm -hmm. uh, to. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, I think that was that, that was what I read. Is they can use if it's like comes from a plant, they can extract that and mm -hmm. then commercially create like a organic herbicide. But yeah. like it's still just as poisonous. And, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. Not yeah. something you want to just drink. No, I wouldn't yeah. recommend yeah. it. You'd probably die. <laughs> yeah, You'd probably definitely die. Let's transition into your scouting experience. Um, tell us a little bit about that. You are an Eagle Scout. So that's pretty cool. What was your Eagle Scout project? I <laughs> did nothing related to what I do now. Um, <laughs> I okay. painted and or I restored a gazebo uh, at the elementary school that I went to. So sanded, painted, uh, fixed up some of the mm -hmm. trails. So cool. is that pretty typical of? Eagle Scout projects, something like that, or it, it, is it all? Yeah. So um, when people think of scouting, a lot of times they just think of all the outdoor stuff, mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of it is giving back to the community. Mm -hmm. um, so there is yeah. a very big service component of it. Um, so all projects that they people have to do mm -hmm. need to be service oriented. Yeah. So you can't go out and be like. Oh, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna go <laughs> yeah, camp for three weeks. It's no, you have to. It has to benefit someone. Yeah, you gotta get so. your badges. <laughs> <laughs> but so, what kind of projects do you do? I mean, everybody has their own Eagle Scout project that yep. they do on their own. But what kind of projects do you do? Kind of like coming up in Scouts. Do you kind of do those like as a group? You all get together and oh. kind of work on something, or is, are there not projects? Can you be a little more specific? Like what, what kind of service stuff do you do besides yeah, your like right. capstone um, project like throughout Scouts? Yeah, I mean there's a lot of like volunteering okay. that goes on. Uh, people go and volunteer quite a bit. Um, that's like the biggest thing. Okay. So, and then help out with other people doing their projects. Yeah. Where'd you volunteer mostly? Uh, I didn't because I was busy, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> um, but you know, food shelves, stuff like that like just feed my starving children or mm -hmm. something yeah okay so cool wherever wherever they can yeah for sure i don't want to get too political with it but what are your thoughts on the boy scouts no longer being boy scouts i guess boys exclusive boys yeah. exclusively couldn't care less <laughs> okay. yeah not an issue yeah From so would you if you had to like describe your opinion of it in one word would you use the word bonkers or mayhem? <laughs> I feel like you're trying to trap me here. <laughs> One of those, I, or another word, I guess, yeah, too, but those okay. are two, two examples. Yeah. <laughs> Brock, what are your thoughts on it? <laughs> um, I would think it's kind of mayhem, I think. Mayhem. Yeah. So let's, let's step back for anyone that doesn't know exactly what you're talking about. So the um, Boy Scouts, 
Um, Boy Scouts of America, the organization. Boy Scouts of America, the organization, no longer, um, well, you can be accepted now as a girl. Um, so to me, the, the reason that I don't necessarily think it's, well, I, don't, I don't think it's necessary because, um, I mean, there is a Girl Scouts organization and I mean, they do different things and I understand the wanting it to be equal, but I think people are different. That's the way it is. And that's not a bad thing. Like we don't have to be, I don't know. So I don't know, politically correct about it. I mean, people are different and that's the way it is. And that's the way it's always going to be. And we don't have to try to ignore that in my opinion. Yeah. So the, the issue that happens a lot is, um, from what I've been told, Girl Scouts forces gender, like it basically is forcing gender roles. Mm. Uh, so when my sister was in Girl Scouts, they didn't really do any camping. Mm. Um, like they went and did their meetings and they learned how to sew and they learned how to knit and they, things that are generally thought of as more female. Um, but she, like, she quit because she didn't want to do any of that stuff. And she always said, like, I would have rather done Boy Scouts because you guys actually did stuff outdoors. You went camping, Mm -hmm. uh, you went hiking, backpacking, like all this stuff. And so I just don't understand why the, I mean, the Girl Scouts organization then, and as well as the Boy Scouts organization, they can't evolve like that. And they can still be. Like, because it's important for, like, guys, like, males to have their relationships, like, male relationships. And it's important for females to have female relationships. But, I mean, it's just, I I don't know, mayhem, like I said before. (laughs) There's no rules anymore. No, I think that, I think what you said earlier, that, like, everybody's different and everybody has different interests is totally right. And I don't Mm -hmm. think those interests are defined by your, you know, birth assigned gender. Right. I think there are women, like, Connor's sister that are just as interested are more interested in mm-hmm. you know doing service projects and doing backpacking trips and camping trips and if they're not offered that opportunity by Girl Scouts of America the organization then I think it's a great idea for the Boy Scouts of America the organization to reach out um, and to accept them into that like give them that that option or that right. opportunity yeah and it could go both ways if yeah, uh, yeah a boy absolutely. is more interested in the things that go on in Girl Scouts of America than more power to them they can right. go over there and do that yeah yeah so yeah i think it's like offering people choices is always the best bet and just kind of right giving them the opportunity to chase what they're passionate about yeah definitely no i agree with that i just think it i don't know it just <laughs> seems strange to me that it was an organization named boy scouts mm-hmm. and it's no longer that and we can't just i mean yeah i guess it is evolving but mm-hmm. it seems like that evolution isn't hap- it's not happening organically I want to say because it seems like people are really like forcing the issue just to you know I don't really know just well the, so the article I read was kind of interesting um, that was just talking about how Boy Scouts of America has evolved over the last half decade mm. from being very very exclusive to um, you know at whatever point they started accepting openly gay men or mm. boys into the into the scouts and then they started accepting openly gay scout leaders mm-hmm. and so they've kind of progressed along with the like the progression we've seen in society so when you watch that kind of evolution and you look back then it's not such a giant leap or a weird thing to now accept everybody you know right so they went from being very exclusive to more open more open more open and now just anybody can join so yeah I like I, I think it's a great thing and I think that um, any organization that's fostering a love of the outdoors and a love of nature is um, and community super, service and, and community service and it's just super important today like in the yeah. you know technological society we live in I think mm-hmm. fostering that passion in, in the youth is incredibly valuable because otherwise you don't end up with people like Connor that are gonna save our wildlife right and we're screwed. So there's <laughs> slightly there's another <laughs> aspect of it though and so there is um kind of a, a quality in like having an exclusive organization to say that you are a part of and I, I'm not talking about excluding women or anyone but so having an exclusive organization though and being able to say you are a part of that like it kind of says something that like you were able to be a part of it you know what I mean like I mean you 
like even uh, say Harvard, mm-hmm. like that's an exclusive institution. Yeah, and being you, able to you say you went to Harvard. Into. Yeah, right. Yeah, but being born a boy does not mean you earned your way into the Boy Scouts. I think you right, right. earn an Eagle Scout badge. I think that's something you work hard and you earn, but not by virtue of being. Yeah, I would say that's that's the exclusive part of Boy Scouts. Just being of scouts boy is scouts. what it's called now. Oh, no, yeah, scouts. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not being boy. The, the, the Eagle Scout thing is the exclusive part. Okay. Yeah, not, just saying that you were a Cub Scout at one point doesn't really no. mean anything. Doesn't carry the same so. weight. Yeah. So was it was it challenging to get your, what do you call it? Just get your Eagle Scout. Yeah. Become an Eagle Scout. I wouldn't say it was challenging. It was just kind of more putting the time and effort in to actually do everything that was required. Yeah, just like time could say. Yeah, nothing was ever difficult by any means. Like it was all easily easily obtainable. (laughs) Well, it took me a long time to say. Um, It was just, you had to kind of go through it. Sure, take the time and do it. Yeah. Do you guys have like a secret handshake and can you teach (laughs) us it? I don't know if I can tell you that. Oh, like if I tell you, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> if we turn the mics off really quick, can you tell? <laughs> yeah, edit this out real quick. <laughs> we'll cut this part. We'll cut, this. cut the handshake. Yeah. No, but no, no. Oh. but no, but no. <laughs> you better, you better edit that out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah edit out the no. Um, so you said you, your parents took you backpacking, camping, all that stuff when you were a child, mm-hmm. um, and you, do you feel like that kind of? helped foster your love of nature and kind of what was yeah, the process I th- there? I think that started it. Okay. Uh, and then my experiences after helped shaped what I am interested in now. Okay. So mm-hmm. we went camping all the time. We went up to the Boundary Waters multiple times. Um, I've hiked portions of the uh, Superior Hiking Trail with my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So Gorgeous. It, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, the North Shore itself is just an awesome place. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome. So. Bonkers. Bonkers. <laughs> it's, it's bonkers beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, from when you were, like, a small child, right? Yeah. And so when you're, like, out in, your, out in the woods with uh, your, your parents, are they, like, telling you things, teaching you things about, like, identifying plants, or is it just, like, hey, follow me, we're walking? <laughs> uh, it was follow me, we're walking. <laughs> yeah. my, like, my mom knows a decent amount about plants, uh, because she gardened, okay. um, mm-hmm. but her her knowledge of plants wasn't really anything, you know, above average. Okay. Um, it was more just get out there and enjoy it, mm-hmm. and we're going to be out here, so if you don't enjoy it, it's <laughs> going to be worse for you. <laughs> right. so, Might as well enjoy yeah. it. <laughs> well, even the stuff, like, just as simple as, like, putting up and taking down tents is, like, I mean, it's something that you uh, learning as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's nice to know, I yeah. guess. And it's kind of something like it, there's a certain way to do it and that kind of, like, I don't know, that aspect of kind of being taught, yeah, ways to do stuff. Right, yeah. Not, not, yeah, not that he was, like, that anyone has to go out of their way to teach their kids how to do something, but just, mm-hmm. like, be out there with them doing it and showing them, what, right. you know, like building a fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Basic survival skill, but, like if you're out there camping every weekend and you're just watching your dad build a fire, like you're going to figure out the basics of fire building. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think, uh, I think it's a great thing to get your kids out in yeah. the woods. Yeah. But I mean, it's never too late to start either. Yeah. Yeah. Just for sure. Go out and walk around. Yeah. <laughs> it's as easy as that. Yeah. So you were telling me, um, a while ago that you were working on exploring what are they called? There's like 60 of them or something like that you said in Minnesota. What are they called again? I wish there were only 60. <laughs> uh, they're scientific and natural areas. Okay. Uh, so it's areas that the Minnesota DNR has deemed uh, to have some sort of scientific or natural value. Mm. Um, so a lot of times they're uh, areas where there are rare plant species, rare bird species, mammal species, just something there that is not found um in other mm. areas so yeah. uh like it could just be like the the one that i just went in was uh an old growth uh white pine forest so like, it, most white pine in minnesota got cut down uh because it's really tall it's pretty straight uh yeah. pretty good wood um and so just this section along the river either they never got to which is surprising because it's 
it was yeah, only whatever. like 50 miles away yeah um or just somehow got left um yeah. it was on the it's on the bluffs mm. uh, so that might be why it's difficult to access yeah um but yeah they're just there's like 167 of them Oof. in minnesota so crazy it's gonna take me a long time yeah yeah but I mean, some <laughs> of them are some of them are like an acre some of them are less than an acre uh some of them are hundreds of acres mm. oh wow so yeah so do you have to explore the whole thing or you just have to go to the spot to, i mean to, to satisfy your like your list <laughs> i don't know like i don't want to just like go there get out of my car take one step and be like hey, all right did it. it this is nice <laughs> no i see <laughs> I'd, I'd rather go and walk around yeah. um i'm actually starting a a lifetime list of plants in minnesota that i've seen Mm. Um, so I want to be able to check all of them off at some point. Awesome. So I'll need to go to these areas anyways. Yeah. So. That's pretty cool. That's very cool. So these are protected areas by the DNR no, yep. and they're not. Okay. Yeah. And th what's cool about them is there, there aren't paths. So it's just a chunk of land, mm. um, that anyone can go into. Mm -hmm. Um, you can't hunt, you can't fish, you can't collect plants or fungus. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just a sectioned off area. And if you care to walk in them, you can. Right. Not like off. the state parks that have like trails and stuff all the Correct. way through yeah. them and it's, campsites and. Yep. Okay. I think that's more interesting because it's more just natural mm -hmm. area. Yeah. And yeah. You, true you, exploration. Right. Yeah. You don't, you don't have a defined path to walk. You can, you know, mm -hmm. you can walk where you want to walk and. Blaze your own trail. Basically. Cool. But without you know, cutting things because yeah. you kind of just have For to sure. squeeze through it. Yeah. <laughs> Plus blazing and more navigating. <laughs> more gently walking. Gently yeah. Walk. <laughs> walk gently. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks, Connor. This was a fun interview. Thanks for coming in. Uh, your ultimate team name again is? Minnesota Windchill. And your next game is? Home game? Next yes. home game. Next home game. Two weeks. Saturday, whatever date, whatever date that is, I don't know it. All right, well, so that would be. Could be listening to this any time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Saturday. There's the seventeenth. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. So June seventeenth. June seventeenth. And uh, Blaine. Yep. In Blaine. Yeah, and June if. Sixteenth is the Saturday. Yeah, because today is the Sunday. Yeah. June sixteenth uh, in Blaine <laughs> National Sports Center. Uh, if we want to follow you, do you have any social? Nope. Nothing. All right. No, well, so you yeah. cannot follow Connor. You can just come to his ultimate uh, ultimate games. Cool. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for coming on, buddy. Thanks, yeah, Connor. Yeah, a lot of fun. Yep. Uh, let's see. Thank you to Psychotropic Sounds. Uh, always a great host to the podcast. Be a lot of fun hanging out. Thanks for doing your thing, making the sound pretty. And uh, thank yeah. you to Prepper Nation for uh, hosting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll see you next time.